Hello and welcome to Extra Healthy Debates. I'm Anna Beryl, editor of Healthy Magazine, and today I'm joined by Ella Mills, founder of Deliciously Ella. Back in 2011, Ella transformed her diet after being diagnosed with a chronic illness, and her subsequent food blog has gone on to become a fully-fledged business, centred on eating well to feel good both mentally and physically. Ella joined me to talk plant-based food, imposter syndrome, and why she's trained to be a yoga instructor. Here's what happened. Welcome to the Healthy Podcast, Ella. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No worries. How are you today? Yeah, very good. Thank you. And you? Um, yeah, pretty good. Can't <laughs> complain. Perfect. Um, so you've just come back from your book tour. Yeah. Is that right? To promote Deliciously Ella's The Plant-Based Cookbook. Yeah. How was that? How are you feeling? Good. It's always amazing. Like it's, you know, so much of what we do obviously is online and it's incredible. And the kind of online community is the kind of heart and soul of Deliciously Ella. It's where we started. But it's really nice to actually meet everyone as well and kind of everyone to have a face rather than just a kind of, um, you know, Twitter handle or something. And so, yeah, it's brilliant. We met kind of thousands and thousands of people and had such a nice response, which is the main thing. And um, but it's also you're always quite nice to get home. Exactly. Get a bit of downtime. Exactly. If possible with your busy schedule. Yeah. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah. So. We've actually been collecting the recipes over the last kind of three years or so. And they're all the recipes that we've done for our deli or pop-ups, festivals we've cooked at, events, you know, all kinds of different things. And what I wanted to do was take the recipes that everyone loved, the things that everyone really enjoyed, that kind of met everyone in the middle. You know, it wasn't about specifically being kind of vegan or vegetarian. It was just plants like just celebrating these ingredients and making them in delicious ways so things like our Thai curries and our Sri Lankan curry and um, bean chilies and all kinds of things like that dals and then like amazing salads but not lettuce salads you know it's like miso and broccoli aubergine uh, sorry miso aubergines and broccoli salads with loads of sesame and then peanut sweet potatoes and things like that rather than the kind of traditional salad as such and just trying to add so much flavor and texture and color to a world that I think can sometimes feel quite bland and boring to people. It can feel quite restrictive as well. Totally. And that's what's so great about your food and I think especially in the new cookbook you get that sense of abundance. It's all fresh, colorful veg. It's all about stuff you want to dig into rather than like you say resorting to a lettuce salad. A hundred percent and I think you know I always come back to it like delicious yeah, I want to be it I want it to be really fun really engaging really delicious really colorful but underneath that you know it is an important message which is like only 27% of the UK eat their fiber a day you know we're meant to eat at least 30 grams of fiber a day the average is 17.2 grams like we're a long way off mm. you know we've got a lot of lifestyle related diseases you know the NHS is really struggling with it and the link between the environment and vegetarianism is so incredibly powerful and so we do need to eat more of these things not that we need to exclusively eat these things but we do need to eat more broccoli more lentils more chickpeas more carrots more cauliflower and I just personally I really believe the only way that we're ever going to do that is by making more appealing to people and in that it needs to be fun it needs to be colorful it needs to be abundant rich delicious so much texture so much flavor and it needs to be something you want to do if you don't want to do it you're not going to do it and I think it's almost as simple as that and it's also keeping that joy because food is such a joyful thing and I think that you know possibly plant-based cookbooks in the past 
I felt a little bit boring. Really. 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's such a shame. That's everything that we don't want it to be. Mm. And I think it can feel, as you said, a little bit restrictive. And I think too often, and I'm sure you find this as well with what you guys do, but I think very, very often people put healthy in the diet box. Yes. And to me, that's like the ultimate problem basically with yeah. it is that that's everything that it's not. It's not about dieting. It's not about aesthetics. It's not about calorie counting. It's about eating food that's good for you, that's good for the planet. and that. But it needs to taste amazing and be nourishing and abundant and delicious. And as soon as it gets diety, it feels stripped back and it feels like you're living in rules and regulations and that just doesn't work. Exactly. It's kind of setting it up in your mind in the right way. Totally. Exactly. And I think that mindset is so important. And, you know, I meet people all the time. They're like, oh, I love what you do, but I love pizza. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Like, yeah. You know, don't worry. It's everything in moderation. You can slip those exactly, things in. Exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, like, yeah, like probably not best to have pizza three meals a day every day, but also not right to eat broccoli three meals a day every day yeah, only you know exactly. so like there's a place for everything it's just that if you went onto the street today and you said to like a random person you went up to you know is pizza cool they would say yes and then if you said is broccoli cool they'd be like what no obviously not you know is a lentil cool they'd be like, well, no, what? one day and that's what I mean is it's not that we need to change the place of other foods but what we de- do need to do is elevate people's opinion on these plant-based foods. And that's what I feel very passionate about. And that's where, again, like I love the term plant-based, for example, because it does, it. the word base is you're rooting what you're doing in plants. And then let's add on to it. Let's adapt it from there. Let's make it work for you in your lifestyle rather than it being like, you know, I think sometimes the word vegan, for example, can be nerve wracking for people. And I have- be quite off-putting. Exactly. And I've got such respect for people who really follow a vegan lifestyle in every sense. And it's an incredible achievement because it's very difficult. But also lots of people, they don't want to do that. They're not ready to do that. It's too all or nothing for them. And I think it's so important to respect all of that and not assume that everyone's going to do the same thing today because they're just not. Yeah, totally. And just going back to what you were saying about incorporating more veg and getting more fiber into our diets, what are your, what are your tips for that? Well, again, I think it's about making it easy, you know, and I think there's also like we have our hopes and our dreams on one side and we have the reality on the other side and the reality is probably for almost all your readers your listeners I know the same on our side and for me personally and I'm sure for you personally like life is really really busy there's so much going on there's so many places to be things to do and you're going through different emotions all the time totally and riding different issues and so again I feel like it's unrealistic to say I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that and that's where again I think things can feel over complicated um and, you know, you think, okay, well, I need to eat my 10 a day. I need to walk 10,000 steps. I need to have 30 minutes where my heart rate's up. I need to meditate. I need to sleep eight hours. I need to do that. And then you find out you're being, becoming really stressed totally. just by trying to work out what you making need to de-stress. Making you is making you stressed. Yeah. Exactly. And it's so, so ironic. And so, again, I think it's accepting the reality of life where it is. And then thinking, okay, what's something? I've got a really busy day. I'm on the go all day. What could I do that's really easy? Okay, what could I do that's really easy? Right, I could make a smoothie. You know, a smoothie, if you always have frozen banana, frozen spinach, frozen berries in your freezer, and then in your cupboard, you have some almonds, some cashews, some oats, for example, like you could just put all of that in a blender that would take you all of one minute, blend it all of 30 seconds, either keep it in the jug if you're using a Nutribullet or something like that, pour it into an on-the-go cup, rinse your blender another 30 seconds, like you are literally all in, in 
no more than three minutes and out the door with three portions of fruit and veg, with fiber, with protein. That's pretty good. And easy. Super easy. Yeah. So most of us know your story well, but for those of um, us who don't, so you made a switch in your diet after being diagnosed um, with a chronic illness. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was honestly never really interested that much in food before. So this whole- Which sounds crazy now. I know, it's so weird because it's, yeah, become my my life and my passion. But I was at university and at the end of my second year at university, I got diagnosed um, with this chronic condition, postural tachycardia syndrome. And I'd spent about four months in that hospital and I was then diagnosed with this and I was 20 and I was put on steroids and all kinds of drugs and your doctor's talking to you about beta blockers and things like that. And you just think, gosh, you know, at that, you never expect to be there at that, at that point. age, yeah. No. And my body basically wasn't functioning. I couldn't control my heart rate properly, my blood pressure, my digestion, my circulation. I had loads of problems with my immune system with secondary infections. I had chronic fatigue. I had all kinds of pains and complications. And so I basically, I couldn't really do anything. And all my friends obviously were going out and having fun. And I was on my own. I watched a lot of the Kardashians. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Um, and I sunk into a real hole. Like physically, I was struggling massively. But then mentally, I started to really, really struggle. And after about a year, I just hit a massive rock bottom. I felt so alienated, so different, really alone. I was really scared about Mm. the future. And I just realized, you know, like my husband always says, and I think it is really true, like you've got to internalize the solution. Yeah. And my doctors were being brilliant and they were giving me these drugs, but they had said, you know, these are repurposed drugs. Like these aren't designed specifically for this condition. This condition's very new. Everyone reacts differently. They really help some people. They really don't help other people. Uh, but, you know, they were like, this is all we have. So this was all they had. I'd done it. It wasn't working. But I arguably for understandable reasons, was not helping myself. Like I was sitting in bed, eating Ben and Jerry's, watching the Kardashians. And that's awesome on a Sunday, you know? Yeah, but But not every day. 365 days, like it's not good for your mental well-being. And your mental well-being in such a bad place isn't helpful for the physical either because you're not motivated or incentivized. Like I didn't have any impetus to be like, what can I do? How can I get it better? I just kind of sunk into the state as if like, that's all there is. And like, but then if the doctors are telling you that it's really hard to, you know, claw your way back. Totally. But I had this moment and I was like, right, enough is enough. Like I'm not getting worse from this point. Something has got to change. And so that's when I started researching, like, surely there's more that I can be doing alongside what we're currently doing because I am not doing anything. And I started researching and I started reading and I started to understand, like, how the body works. And I started to understand, okay, right, like, you need vitamin K for this process. You need vitamin C for this process, right? That's what vitamin A does. And you start to understand, okay, right, the abundance of all these vitamins, all these minerals, all these nutrients, they really live in plant-based foods, like, how much of those am I really eating? Not that much. And you started to understand like, you know, the kind of brain and just started to read as much as I could on the body. And I started to have such an appreciation that actually like maybe the way that you treat your body, the way that you live, the way that you eat actually does have a really powerful impact. And I didn't know whether it would really help or semi-help, but 
the more I read and then the more I researched and started reading other people's stories about how lifestyle changes had helped them with different illnesses I thought okay well honestly like what have I got to lose at this point and you're then taking control of the situation totally at least you're trying and there's something powerful about trying and rather than just kind of giving in and so I thought okay well you know I've got to try what on earth have I got to lose in not trying so um but I read, so I'd read and I read and I read and I read and I made this decision that I was going to try, but then I couldn't find the recipes. And so I was really inspired to start eating my greens. But, you know, I was like, I'm sure lots of people who want to change the way they're eating. Like I wasn't really a healthy eater. Like I obviously, I didn't live in McDonald's and I did not only eat Ben and Jerry's, but like I just ate a lot of pasta with tins of tomato sauce, you know, I like just uh, I don't know what else, but like cereals and just sandwiches and just really convenient, but not that fresh. It wasn't like inherently really unhealthy, but it wasn't nutrient dense at all. And so I started thinking, okay, well, I need to change up my meals. Like I really need to start putting vegetables, beans, fruits, nuts, seeds, etc., at the center of my plate. And there was one book that I read that had really interesting information in about nutrition and things like that. And it had some recipes at the back, but it was literally like, quinoa wrapped in kale wrapped in cucumber kind of thing (laughs) not the most appealing no and you know especially for someone that you know really didn't eat that kind of food yeah I was like gosh okay we're going a long way from like pasta and a burger to like a quinoa kale situation so I was like it must be things in the middle and I just couldn't find it like I felt every recipe at this point this is 2000 end of 2011 so you know the world's changed so much in that time But, um, you know, at this point, like what I could really find was either vegetarian food, but that was very like phyllo pastry and cheese and things like that. So again, not really what I was looking for. Or it was like kind of raw, vegan, LA, dehydrated for perhaps 36 just a bit hours. much at that point. Way too much. And also not really you know I was living in Scotland at this point and like you okay. know it's a different climate you want warming you want hearty and this is like a dehydrated cracker. and you want to be able to get the ingredients from your local store and I don't want to take it 36 hours to make a cracker let's be honest <laughs> and then I found the other category was um more kind of sort of activist vegan do you know what I mean it was a little bit hippie it was a little bit old school there were a lot of stuffed peppers and and it just wouldn't feel kind of that aspirational or modern or kind of sort of sexy in any shape or form and then there was the diet category with your Atkins diets and your Dukin diets and things like that which obviously weren't vegetable focused anyway but they were also like all about kind of negative nutrition you know it wasn't positive what are we adding in it was like what are we taking taking out take it out take it out and like everything was so stripped back it was just missing any sense of flavor or as you said joy and so I just thought oh god that's like no and also I was looking to nourish myself I wasn't looking to punish myself and I really really wasn't looking to lose weight or like get abs like I wanted to get out of bed you know I really didn't care about the abs And so I thought, okay, well, it's not here, so I'm going to do it because I so need it. So were you it. an okay cook at this point? No. no. Okay. So then how do you, <laughs> how do you tackle cook. that? Terrible cook. Um, well, that was just trial and error. And that was really a good thing for me because I, as I said, I, I couldn't really do much. So I was stuck in my house and I needed, but I needed things to do that wasn't just watching TV. So I just started cooking a lot and playing around with stuff. And in a way, I think not really cooking before was actually quite helpful because I didn't have preconceived ideas of you must do this and you must do that because it was quite a different way 
of cooking. So I just started playing around and like the first recipes were horrible. It's like literally- Do you remember what they were? Well, I mean, it was like gruel basically. Cause like, I didn't know, I was trying to, you know, have a little bit less dairy. And I was, didn't know that like almond milk or oat milk or something was a thing. And so I was like, oats and water, you know, it was like gruel, literally. Yeah. Or I'd like buy courgette and aubergine and tomato or something and mush it down so much that you couldn't even see it was there anymore and be like, that's pie pasta sauce. So it was just quite uninspired, but over time it obviously got better. Um, and it was just about playing around and like finding a way to enjoy it and get creative with it and feel that it was a satisfying and nice thing to do. Yeah, definitely. And I think we're finally now starting to join those dots between yeah. food and kind of prevention when it comes to our health. Yeah. What are your kind of thoughts around that? I think we're getting there. I think it's a slow process. And, you know, I think the problem is, and um, I was talking to a doctor actually on our podcast about this two weeks ago, and she was just saying about how the problem is, is, you know, nutrition is a very new science and it's, you know, it's quite hard to have like controlled studies in, yeah. in the same way. It's, and we're bombarded with so much information totally. now. It's quite a difficult sphere to navigate. Exactly. So it can be quite personal past a certain point, can be a bit anecdotal. And I think that's where the problem is, is, you know, like I've always said, you know, this is what worked for me that doesn't necessarily mean it exactly what I did is going to be exactly right for you. And yeah. I think that's the tricky bit is taking all this information, all these ideas that exist out there now, and then kind of diluting all of that down into you. Yeah. What do you need? And what using works a bit of you? common sense as well. Totally. And I think the common sense is such a valid point. It's mm. like, for me personally, I think that's the biggest frustration that I often have is that, you know, of course, you're not only meant to eat broccoli. Like, of course, you're not meant to do that, you know? But I think there's so much sensationalism and confusion in the way that healthy food is talked about. You know, I'm sure everyone saw like the headlines that were like, coconut oil is pure poison. Yeah. But then you read the article and it says, use it in moderation. And it's like, well, those exactly. are two very different things. The first thing makes it sound like arsenic, mm. you know, like it's literally going to kill you if you have a bite. And the second thing says it's very high in fats. So please use it with moderation. But of course you should use something like that with moderation. Like, you know, don't eat a tub of coconut oil. No, like, exactly. It's not the same as spinach. And I think that's where the frustration I think comes in sometimes is there's confusion or debate or kind of criticism of this space. And I think so much of that comes on assumption that people aren't going to be able to use their common sense. And people say, well, why don't you share recipes for everything? And I'm like, well, first of all, I like to cook this kind of food. But second of all, like there's enough recipes in the world for pizza, for fries, for things like that. No one needs any help there. No, exactly. But 27% of the UK eat their five a day. And I think that's because we do need help in that department. So that's what we're creating. So let's you know, that's this. If you want Italian recipes, you might go to Jamie Oliver or, you know, whoever it is. Do you know what I mean? It's like everyone's going to do their certain bit. That's not saying that's the only thing you should exclusively eat for the rest of your life. Mm, definitely. And so you started your business when you were at uni. Is that right? Yeah. Have you ever had another job? No. Okay. Well, this, um, this fits in nicely then because I saw this survey that was published a couple of weeks ago. And when I knew you were coming on the podcast, I mean, I think this fits... Um, in quite nicely with your okay. brand and feels quite relevant. 
Because it was saying that 84% of UK workers um, said that enjoying their job is a much better measure of success than having, say, a high salary. So passion, although I'm, I'm not particularly keen on that word, um, does make success. Yeah. So you've been very open, I think, about kind of mental health and your maybe struggle with confidence and kind of imposter syndrome, which I'm hoping to touch on a little bit later. Um, and I think it's something that people are definitely talking about more now, which is a great position to definitely. be in. Um, for you, has having kind of that purpose and that passion for what you're doing helped you kind of come out of those darker days and create that little bit of joy that's kind of continuously running through your life? Yeah, 1000%. I really, you know, for anyone going into any career, starting a business, leading a team, you know, whatever it is that you're doing in your life, I do think knowing why you do it is everything. Like you have to care. Because yeah. if you don't really, really care, and I think it's especially true, obviously, if you are kind of leading a team of people or you are creating something in some capacity, everyone has so many bumps in the road. It's just the reality of life. And, you know, things don't always go smoothly. You're going to have challenges. And if you don't really love it and you don't really feel like there's a purpose that's higher than your personal feeling at that moment, how do you get past that? Yeah. I don't think, I don't know if you always can. And that's what I always come back to is that sense of like really, really deep rooted purpose is what gets me to the next point. Like, you know, my health is something that I've always, you know, I always have to be conscious of and like, I'll have a difficult period. And I think, why am I doing this? Like I'm pushing myself too hard, you know, whatever it is. And then someone sends you a message and they say, you've changed my life. You know, I've done this because of it. I've done that because of it. And you think I've got to do more. You know, and it really pushes you or you'll have a difficult business time, you know, cash flow issues or whatever it is. And you think, no, this really matters. Like 27% of the UK, they're five at eight. We know how directly linked that is to various different issues with our health, with our well-being, with disease. Like we need to change that. We have a platform to help change that. We're going to change that. We're going to find a solution to this problem. Whereas if you are in it solely for money, for example, like you've got to really love money. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a kind of different mentality and motivation, totally. isn't it? And I'm not sure if you don't love what you're doing 100%, like you're saying, how do you keep going? That's the thing, because you've got to dig deep sometimes. And I think it's the passion, it's the love, it's the real, really genuinely deep sense of why that lets you dig deep. If you can't dig deep, it's challenging. Yeah. And talking of confidence, yeah. um, you've spoken a lot about how um, you've struggled a little bit with confidence, which I think is something every single person can relate to. Um, given you own a business, um, you write cookbooks, you're out and kind of front and center. How do you manage that? And has that always been a factor? Yeah, I think confidence, and I know it's especially a, an issue for women. Yeah. It's a really important, I think it's a really great thing to talk about because I think you know, we're all so different. And like, we sometimes interview people and I say, how did you find the confidence to do it? And they're like, they kind of just did. They kind of just have it. And that for me, is definitely not the case. Like I'm definitely a wobbly person. My mental well-being is something that hit so low um, sort of seven years ago when I was sick that I think it's probably going to take a lifetime to put it back together again. It's something I always have to look after. And I think I just have to accept that and acknowledge mm -hmm. that and be okay with that. But what is you know, kind of interesting is that people always assume that everyone else is so confident 
And therefore, I feel it makes you feel more alienated in feeling like an imposter or feeling like you're not good enough to do something. But I think it's so important to realize that everyone feels that way. And I, I don't know whether or not you've read or come across um, the book Lean In, which was Sheryl yes. Sandberg, yeah. who's um, amazing. Yeah, who's Facebook COO. And, you know, she, anytime you read a kind of most influential women in the world list, it's like her, She's Michelle there. Obama, Oprah. You know? You're done. <laughs> exactly. It's like that kind of, or like Serena Williams, you know, it's like yeah. that kind of level. And, you know, and I know um, the imposter syndrome was the first time I read about it was in her book. Oh, okay. Yeah. And she was writing all about how scared she was, how fear held her back, how she felt not good enough, how she felt like an imposter. And I just remember th- reading it and thinking, oh my gosh, well, if you felt that way, then it's okay it's that okay I feel that else. way and I'm going to be able to figure it out. Like it, 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 when you normalize something, I feel like you can deal with it because you can sit in the room and you can rationalize the fact that I'm nervous, but you also might be nervous. Maybe you're nervous. Maybe you're nervous. Yeah. Like maybe you were nervous the first time you did this and it's okay. It's normal. And I feel like we're so hard on ourselves. We're so critical of ourselves and actually just saying it's okay. We have all been there. We have all done that. And like, Definitely it's something in the last kind of three or four years. Like I find I've got a lot better at it. Like I don't get so nervous. I don't doubt myself as much. I think I've come to understand where my strengths are, where my weaknesses are, you know, kind of, and be more kind of compassionate in that. But it's taken a lot of kind of self-conversation and learning and most of all accepting. And I think knowing that you're not on your own and feeling that is the most important thing for accepting it. Definitely. And I think there's a distinction between having weaknesses and acknowledging them, which I think everyone should do. And that's totally. a great thing. But then there's also that little, little voice, voice that little self-doubt totally. in your head. So when that creeps in, if you've got, I don't know, a big business meeting or something like that, what, what do you do? What tools are you tapping into? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the first thing is that you need to understand if you are going to genuinely, as you said, I completely agree. I think acknowledging your weaknesses is really important, mm. like taking your ego out you of it. You can't be great at everything. No one is amazing at finance and marketing and sales and communications and, you know, all the rest. No one is the best at all yeah. of us. It's just literally not possible. So it's okay if you're not very good at one of those things or two of those things or three of those things. But you do, it's only okay to say I'm not good at those things if you then say, but I am really good at this exactly. thing. Exactly, it's also acknowledging what totally. you're good at, not and, totally putting yourself and down. And I think that's what comes, that for me has been a really important part of then like shh to that bit that kind of gets in the back of your head and says, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. Because you can say, no, I, I am actually not good enough at you. For me, like it's the kind of, more financial side of our business. I I don't, I took a decision and this was again about having a really honest conversation with myself. I was like, you're not very good at this. It's not your strength. You're always going to be slower than the rest of the group at it. When you sit in the finance meetings, you feel insecure because you are not as up to date with the spreadsheets of the cash flow and etc. as everyone else in the room. A, because you're not as passionate about it and B, because it's just not in completely the way that your brain works. So it's like, I'm just going to remove myself from the room. I work with my husband. He's our CEO. He really excels in Excel. (laughs) And so I was like, you go Excel in Excel. I'm going to go over here and Excel over here. Exactly. And that really helped because I was like, I'm doubting myself. I'm making myself insecure. And that's then running down into other decisions that I'm making because I'm putting myself in a position that I don't need to be in because I'm trying to say, I need to do everything. No, you don't need to do everything. It's so important to acknowledge that. I really, really think so. And then, but if you are in a situation where you do need to be doing it, I think it's just saying like, 
And someone said this to me, which I thought was really good advice. It's like really truly sit there and think, okay, what is the worst that could happen? Okay, the worst that could happen is that you're sitting there or someone's listening to this and thinking, God, she is awful. It's not great. Like I'd rather <laughs> think that or they didn't think that. But at the same time, like, okay. The world's still going to go on. The world will still spin. You know, like what? what's the most important thing to you? You know, like for me, it'd be my family, like my husband, a dog. You know, will they still be there if someone listening to this doesn't like me? And they, they will, I hope. Um, and so that's, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, okay, well, I've acknowledged the fundamentally the worst thing that's going to happen, but probably more likely what's going to happen is someone would say, you know what, this episode is not so much for me. I'm going to turn it off. And then Who life cares? continues. Life continues. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, I think we always build everything up to be the end of the world and like, that's just not the end of the world at all. Exactly. It's taking that pressure off. Exactly. And you said you work with your husband. How does, how does that work? Does it work? Yeah, so far so good. Yeah. Um, Everyone always wonders about this. I think for us, the most important thing, as I said, like Matt, who's my husband, he's our CEO. He really excels in Excel. You know, he's a really business orientated person. He's got a brilliant brain for finances, for operations, for supply chain, for anything kind of quite systematic, mathematical. And he's also the biggest thinker I know. Like he has that, you know, he's really like a sky's the limit kind of person. Mm. And as a result, he brings that great mentality of he has no you know what's the worst that can happen he's like I don't care we're just gonna try we're just gonna see like I don't mind if it doesn't work and he's just so optimistic and positive in the way that he thinks and so he thinks so big he's like why would we not you know and that's so brilliant and that's a really skill that I definitely am learning but definitely lack naturally and my skill set lies on the creative side of things. I love the creative. I love the brand. I love the look, the feel. Obviously, from our side, you know, the recipes, the concepts, the content, the community, the products, you know, the everything that you look that you, at, you feel, you touch, you obviously eat yeah. in our case. And so we really split our roles up. And that was really important. And I definitely would say if anyone is thinking about starting something with anyone they know, I definitely, my advice would be to do it where you are very separate. Yeah, you, know, you have those key roles and there is that, totally. that line there. Exactly, because we share the big picture and we share the big issues. But on a day-to-day basis, you know, I'll be here doing this and I've got menu tastings today and things like that. And he has finance meetings. And actually, like, he doesn't only have finance meetings. I don't only have menu tastings. There are some overlaps, but I would say 80% of what we do is actually genuinely quite separate. And that does make a big difference. Makes it all tick along nicely. Totally, because you respect the other person. And I think that's really important. And um, what always strikes me about your brand is that it seems very community-led. Yes. Um, Has that shaped your business at all? Yes, very accidentally. But it that has been our business really mm. to some extent. Because when I started, it was like I said in the beginning, like I, I wasn't really doing anything. And so I started sharing this content. And so people started reading it and then they would write in and say, well, I made this. And I obviously had nothing else to do. And this was like my whole life that I was putting into this project. So I'd be like, that's amazing. Tell me about it. What did you think of this? What did you think of that? And they'd be like, oh, well, my daughter thought this. And amazing and then the next and you're person, getting that instant feedback totally. which is so great and so from day one I would take that exactly that instant feedback on board and think okay you really like this you found that a bit tricky or whatever it was and say so, okay so the next thing I do taking that all on board and so on and so on and so on it's obviously really increases on a bigger scale now but still everything we do is really led by 
what are our audience asking for? What do they like? What are they not as keen on? What are they asking? What are the questions they always want to know? And so it's always been like such an engage. I never, ever want to be transactional. I don't want to be like, we sell energy balls. We sell cereals. We sell meals. Done. No, like we are trying to be useful for people. We're trying to help people live better. We're trying to change the preconceptions around healthy food and make vegetables cool. And in that, I want to offer loads of tools, but I want it to be something where we're working together as a it's community. It's more of a conversation as well. Totally. It's a community of like-minded people who genuinely care about something and like we can represent them in trying to change things rather than it being, you know, just a kind of really business-based decision. Yeah. And thinking of social media, obviously you've got a, a huge following um, and the effects of kind of social media on mental health yeah. are well documented. What are your thoughts on that and how do you maintain good mental health um, when you're kind of not solely living your life, obviously through these platforms, but they play a big part in, in your life? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's a really, really important topic and maybe a topic we don't talk about enough actually in the world today. But what first thing I would say is I think Kind of what it's been a bit of a thread, I think, through our conversation is I think with anything, you've got to be honest about what it is. You, and I don't think we're honest enough, generally yeah. speaking, about what social media is. Social media is a platform for ideas. It's a platform for inspiration, for kind of that sense of community and sharing. You know, if you love DIY, you're going to get loads of DIY ideas, inspiration, ways to paint your house, colors to paint your house what color to pay a sofa with the paint. You know, if you love fashion, you're going to get loads of ideas of how to style your blazer. I don't know. I'm not very good at things like that. You know, same, sounds good to me. Perfect. Yeah. Same with makeup and same with food, same with fitness, same with travel, same with dogs, cats, you name it. You know, you can get so much inspiration. What it is not is real life. Yeah. Is a curated thing. And yes, it's snapshots of real life. But if you think, you know, there's 24 hours in the day, even if someone's sharing, let's say 10 Instagram stories, that's not even a minute worth of time of yeah. that 24 hours. And so I think it's really important, first of all, acknowledge what it is. It is a snapshot. It is a glimpse. It is a place of ideas and inspiration. It is not a 20 is not a 24 7 insight into something. and people are being selective aren't they totally if they go out for a great meal because they want... think that's how they're living their life exactly and i think if you see it as a place of ideas it's like awesome that looks amazing i want to go to that restaurant whereas if you see it as real life you think well why aren't i at that restaurant well they're not always at that restaurant of yeah. course they're not and that also taps into that common sense again as well but also like we do live in quite a negative world like you turn on the news and it's terrifying yeah and and you know climate change is terrifying and all these things are terrifying so you do want that little bit of so joy i escapism. don't want to see someone complaining about their commute yeah like that breeds more negativity i want to see you be like this restaurant was amazing or i just met this person they were amazing i've had a really nice day like it's a nice place to celebrate the good stuff but you just have to always remember that's what it is rather than kind of the full thing but i think from a from my perspective when i started delicious yellow and i always say to everyone like our social media I run all our social media myself like we don't Do yeah we don't have a social media team like I don't think we ever will but it's delicious yellow it's not LMLs and that's a really important distinction like mm. it's our company yeah. and yes I run our company I founded our company so of course I'm involved in it I'm showing you the insight into what we do I'm trying to give you that inspiration but it's not the LML show you know, and so like, yes, you might see what I have for breakfast, but I'm not going to show you 
my friends, my family and things like that. Because I think you have to have boundaries because otherwise social media infiltrates your life to such an extent that I think that mental health conversation becomes challenging. So I think know why you're using it. Know why you want, what do you want ideas about and what is negative for you? Like if following all the Victoria's Secret models makes you feel like you're not in good shape. Don't do it. Don't do it. You don't need to do it. Yeah. And how do you equip yourself if say you get a negative comment as, you know, everyone does occasionally how do you equip yourself to deal with that yeah so I think the thing that I've kind of really learned is that you have to split your criticism out into two categories and the first is constructive criticism and that's really helpful Mm. you don't always want to hear it no (laughs) but it's good you know but a week later it makes sense totally if someone says you know I think you should have talked about this in that or you should have you know made this clearer or I was quite confused by this or this didn't work properly for me or I was disappointed by X. Like that's really helpful because ultimately we can all always be better and we're all trying to be better and all trying to grow and trying to evolve. So that feedback is genuinely really helpful. It's important to understand the like full spectrum of what people think about things, not just the good stuff. But then there's also just criticism for the sake of criticism. And I think it's understanding at that point, you just let it go. You know, not everyone can like you. So yes, you might be upset about the constructive criticism, but it's a good thing to reflect on. But don't let yourself get upset about the criticism for the sake of criticism where you're never going to win. This person just doesn't like you. Yeah, but on the flip side of social media, you know, you've created such a great relationship with kind of your readers and your followers. So there is that, it's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Totally. And I think as with anything in life, and like my husband says this to me a lot, you know, you look through like 500 comments and there'll be one negative comment and he says why is that the one you're replying to it's because you're human totally but it's you know it is a really good point there must be what like 0.2 percent or something of all the comments and yet that's the one that you are focusing on there's 499 really lovely comments like it's just sometimes it can show I think how easy it can be to be glass half full rather than glass half exactly and then that kind of glass half empty rather than glass half full exactly (laughs) But then that also taps into that kind of confidence imposter syndrome totally. that we were talking about earlier. Exactly. Um, I also wanted to ask you about self-care. Um, is that something that factors into your day-to-day routine? Is that something you prioritize? Yeah, not enough, I think is the answer. I'm sure that's most people's answer. But actually, I do think it's really important. And I think I know for me, like I can often be like, I'm so busy. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. And that's great. But ultimately, if you're doing all of it in a frantic way, if you're rushing, 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 are you doing it well? Yeah. Mm, Not necessarily. So would it have been better to do it slower and better? And that's what I do come back to quite a lot with myself of like, and I, as I said, like I always do have to be conscious with my health and, you know, it's a kind of day-to-day management thing to keep all my symptoms under control. And sometimes I just kind of, something will flare up and I'm like, I can see exactly why that happened. And it's because you stopped doing like the little things and stopped investing in yourself and did kind of stop caring for yourself a little bit because you put everything else in front of it. And as a result, now you're not able to do this. You're not able to do that. You're having a negative mindset. So that's impacting on this, that, and the next thing. If you just dialed it back and create an extra 20 minutes every day which is really nothing like you probably spend that much time on Facebook exactly or you know procrastinating or something totally exactly so what are those little things that you are doing yeah so I think for me it's how I start and end the day 
Okay. Because also I think it's again, you know, I was saying in the beginning about the way like eating well, you know, that you've got to be realistic about life. Like, you know, I see some stuff on Instagram, people like meditating with their crystals at 2 p.m. Like that's awesome. But like we run- But I'm at a desk. No, and like (laughs) we run a company with 40 people. We're in 6,000 stores. Like it's It's just the reality of the fact that like your phone rings then and you need to answer it. And like, it's just not realistic, I don't think. Brilliant if you can, but I think also like fine if you can't. But you do have an hour or two between like 6.30, 7, 7.38 in the morning. Like you you can make that time. No one else is really drawing on you at that time. Yeah. And same like for 20 minutes before you go to bed. Like you can, I think you can make that time. And so that's what I really try and focus on. It's like something nice first thing in the morning and just before I go to bed. So I try and do yoga in the morning, just really clears my head, creates really positive headspace moves my body which I love and then in the evening it literally might just be like having a bath for 15 minutes but maybe reading my book in the bath just reading like a chapter I'm not going to race through the book again no, like just taking your time totally taking, you know, exactly and it just means like rather than just sitting there and like frantically scrolling Instagram and like what are other people doing and like it just kind of self-perpetuates that frantic that stress that kind of nervous it kind of relaxes you and gets you ready for a good night's sleep totally. as well, which is so important exactly and then you can wake up the next day and you want to go to yoga or go on a walk or just take that time to listen to a podcast or whatever it is but just I think you you can always find a little chunk of time before work and a tiny bit of time before you go to bed and so I think if you could just really utilize those rather than yeah, just like sitting there on Facebook, there is probably would be a positive thing for all of us. And am I right in thinking that you've trained to be a yoga instructor? Yeah, I have. I've just started teaching. Amazing. Yeah, which I'm loving. Um, really, really loving. I think what I've come to appreciate so much is that we put so much pressure on our plates. Yeah. And we put so much pressure like on the broccoli to be the miracle. And I'm not saying that all these foods don't play an impact but I think it is you know someone said recently which I really like like life is and kind of accumulation of all the little things like you've Mm. got to do all the little things right and I think that really comes into it like it's no good just eating loads of greens if you're really stressed and you're not sleeping properly and you've got negative relationships in your life and you're always having a fight with your boyfriend your partner your flatmate your mom whatever it is and you're not exercising and you're feeling really sluggish and things like that you can eat so much broccoli and spinach and like it's it's really not enough yeah and I think that's where you yoga came in for it for me personally it was a really positive tool in my life for creating headspace for my mental well-being but also physically for my body and I just found that then had a positive impact on kind of everything in my life and I find it's quite a nice multi you know multi-purpose tool in that sense it encompasses so much I think which you know it always helps me create a more positive positivity like I really notice the difference like if I do that in the day before I start work and then my day just has that kind of little bit more kind of openness in it as a result yeah and what type of yoga do you practice so I normally do vinyasa because I really like that you have the breath element but that I but that you also have a sense of movement like it's definitely my preferred way to exercise um so yeah I love it and will we see yoga being incorporated into the uh deliciously yellow brand definitely yeah definitely definitely um, cause again, I, I think it's really important that we talk about all these different aspects of well-being rather than just. Exactly. It's not just pinpointing. It's kind of look, taking an umbrella. Exactly. Approach. Exactly. And am I right in thinking you've signed up to do the marathon? Oh my God. No. <laughs> Firstly, are you I a wish runner? you weren't right. I wish you were. <laughs> um, I have, and I am not. 
Okay. Yeah. So I can currently run like 0.01 miles. Okay, but you've got some time. <laughs> I've got time. You've got some Thank time. God. How is training going? Have you started? Um, This week I'm going to start. Okay. So I bought my trainers. That's step That's one. A, that is a good starting yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. you got to get trainers. Um, and a little very fashionable bum bag to put like my keys in and stuff. So, Perfect. Yeah. So you're good to go. I'm equipped. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think that was probably procrastination in buying the bum bag before going on the run. But that, there it's we go. It's an important element. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, it's nice to hear the support. No, I, um, it wasn't, it was never something that I would kind of plan on doing. My mother-in-law died of a brain tumor earlier this year. And we um, want to do some work with the Brain Tumor Charity who do amazing work supporting yeah. families going through this. And Matt, my husband and I were having a meeting with them and we were talking about different things we could do to support them. And they, um, they, I was looking through their kind of brochure booklet or something. And I said, oh my gosh, do you have people that run the marathon? And they said, yeah, we have two spots left. Oh, And I just thought, oh no. It's like, I've got to say it, I've got to offer myself (laughs) Exactly, because I was like, there's no better way for us to raise awareness really than that. So I was like, okay, we're going to do it. So neither of us are runners. um, So we have a lot to learn. But You've got a good amount of time there, haven't you? Totally. And do you know what? Like I feel, I don't think it's probably something I will continue. But nonetheless, I, I do feel it's a very cool kind of life milestone and it's such a great atmosphere as well yeah I remember watching on tv about two years ago and Matt and I were literally crying being like this is so emotional and amazing. it is so it have really you done is. it I did I did okay, any the, tips oh gosh I think pace yourself yeah because I did the marathon because someone bet me that I couldn't do it and this was when I was 18 yeah um and I did it for a breast cancer charity for my mum yeah And I think the mistake I made when I started is I got swept up with the crowds. I had a lot of energy. I was buzzing and I went for it. And I think it is all about pacing yourself. And Pick it up at the end rather than the beginning. Exactly. It's a long way. I mean, what is so great, it's a lovely atmosphere. Everyone is so supportive. And I mean, you know, crowds and runners. It's just such a great experience. It's nice to hear because sometimes people say it's horrible. I so, loved it. I mean, I had I haven't done it again. I think it's a one-time situation, though. Definitely, definitely. You need kind of yeah, lots of sweets to get you around. Exactly. <laughs> so, is fitness quite um, a big key to your life? Is it very important to you? Yeah, for me, I find for my mental health, fitness is really powerful. Actually, like I definitely, it just gets you out of a funk, doesn't it? Sometimes yeah. you wake up in a funk, and like I just think that's a normal part of life. And there's something about like getting up, getting out, moving, sweating that I just somehow for me like it almost always like just feels Puts like you in a good mood, totally ready to tackle the rest of the day, totally. Thanks so much for joining us my on the pleasure. podcast today. Thank you for your marathon inspiration. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, and all your toes as well. <laughs> I need all of it. That was Ella Mills, and make sure you check out her new book, Deliciously Ella, The Plant-Based Cookbook. Now I'm joined by producer Andy Greening. A lot of what Ella was saying about plant-based cooking must have really resonated with you as our resident vegan. Yes, here I am again. (laughs) Here you are, you're back. So when you turned vegan, did you find it hard to find recipe inspiration? Uh, Yeah, I did at first. Um, I think when I first turned vegan, I kind of did the assumption of I'd have to take something off my plate and not add something to it. 
And I think that's probably where a lot of the stigma of you're not going to get the right vitamins or anything like that is going to come from because you are subtracting those vitamins from your plate. So when I first actually came across Ella's book, I think it was one of the first vegan cookbooks I actually owned. Yeah. And um, it was it was really interesting as well because she refers to it as plant-based cooking as well. So Which she, is a really nice way of looking at things. Yeah, and I think at that time as well is quite an interesting way to put it. I know... Um, it can be in vegan circles. It's like plant-based is one side of the, the argument and then being a vegan is another side of thing. Yeah. But to me, I mean, it is, it's recipes I can eat and I'm really happy to get involved and, and try them out. And I think I actually tried a quinoa pizza was the first thing I tried. Right? It's off her blog yeah, for quite a few years ago. That's really good. Are you still making it? I still make it, yeah, yeah. Amazing. And I think that link she was talking about of um, between kind of what you eat and prevention when it comes to your health is really interesting and something that is becoming a lot more common and acknowledged by doctors, which is in no way a criticism of the NHS, of no. course. Um, was that something you found interesting? Does that factor into your... Oh, massively. I, I've, I'm a real big believer of uh, food being medicine as well. I do see there's a lot more we can do to prevent illnesses from the way we eat. And I don't just mean kind of obesity crisis way. I also mean from the sort of seeds and vitamins you can get from fruit and veg and nuts. Um, these are kind of the properties which are can be as strong as medicine. I mean, I, I've read various things about, say, like flax seeds and how they can have such a strong healing impact. Uh, beetroot can help with uh, high blood pressure and these are sort of preventative things which if you having a diet then there's never going to be that need to hopefully go towards a, a sort of a life of medicine and um, relying on medicine from there on definitely and is that something that's come onto your radar recently oh yeah totally um i think when you're when you obviously go first go vegan depends on reasons why you do it it for me was more from an ethical stance and then i've kind of come and seen the health benefits from the sort of the food i eat um but yeah, it was definitely more of a recent thing. And I think also, I know there's been documentaries out there on like Netflix, like What the Health and various things like that. And people like Ella as well, who are advocating this lifestyle, it does open your eyes to maybe we've not seen things right all along. Yeah. Another um, interesting point I think that she and I touched on was about confidence and imposter syndrome. And I think it's kind of, um, there's something powerful in admitting your weaknesses. Um, and it's so important to kind of push yourself into that uncomfortable zone. But it's also quite refreshing to hear someone who is running a successful business talking about those issues and that they affect her as well. Yeah, I found that really interesting as well, because uh, especially about her and her husband and how uh, he's basically ended up taking all the financial sides. I can see a lot of those similarities between me and my wife. How I uh, I want nothing to do with those side of things, and <laughs> I'm happy to make you know do all the creative stuff and all the ideas. But when it comes to kind of the operations, it's not really sometimes my strong point. And uh, to see she's got a successful company that she's running, and that she's very happy to admit these weaknesses for the better. Then I think more people could take a page out of the book for that, and yeah, really sort of take it on board. Definitely. And it's so interesting to see how she's built up this online community because she's got that resource right there for instant feedback when when it comes to recipes. I mean, that's invaluable. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, I, I first discovered her when she had a, a blog, I think just before her first cookbook came out. And uh, it was that interaction online and I, I'd never seen her on her Instagram and how she was conveying with people. And it was it was quite a community feel. And I think... Uh, 
it's great on a, as on our behalf as well. Like it helps recipe development and uh, just seeing how it's really being perceived. Because you can live in a bubble sometimes as well, especially in like in the vegan world. You 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 go online, you search for these things, you add yourself into groups, and that's it. You live in that world now. But where she's got bigger and bigger, and she has now. I mean, I've seen a book on places like W H Smith on supermarkets. It's not anymore a niche thing. It's out there for everyone to pick up, and for her to uh, to be in that world now is going to be a lot more brutal in some ways because people are going to be a lot more opinionated about things. But it's standing its own now in that in that sort of space. So it's uh, she's obviously managed to make some recipes which you know do stand to everyone. Thanks for that, Andy. And for more plant-based chattage, make sure you check out our podcast with Gaz Oakley, which is episode two of Extra Healthy Debates. See you next time.